0: This is a podcast by the Straits Times.
1: Hi, you're listening to Green Pulse, and I'm David Fogarty, the co-host for this channel, along with No More Gosh. In this episode, we're going to discuss something truly concerning, something many people seem unaware of: planetary tipping points. It sounds a bit innocuous, right? And yet, tipping points represent one of the gravest threats to humanity. These are parts of the natural world that are at risk of abrupt and irreversible changes that could lead to truly devastating consequences. For instance, faster melting of the Greenland and West Antarctic ice sheets, dieback of warm water coral reefs, and drying out of parts of the Amazon rainforests. And there are many more. While some of these tipping points might be close to, or already past the point of no return, there's still time to stop others from occurring if we act fast. That's the message from my guest today, Professor Tim Lenton, Director of the Global Systems Institute at Exeter University in Britain. Tim recently led the biggest study yet into global tipping points. Welcome to the show, Tim.
0: Thanks, David, and great to be on the show.
1: So let's get underway. Tim, what are planetary tipping points, and why should we be so concerned about them?
0: Well, tipping points are where a small change makes a big difference to the the state of a fate of a system, and in the case of planetary tipping points, we're talking about the potential for triggering abrupt and or irreversible changes in large bits of the climate, or what scientists like me sometimes call the Earth system, and we need to be Concerned about those? Well, because the consequences could be bad and large for many people. And then, once a tipping point is underway, it can be extremely difficult to stop. So, we get into a situation of, well, not being able to control uh, climate change in a simple sense or some of these key changes, whether they're in ice sheets or in the biosphere or in the circulation of the ocean and the atmosphere.
1: What are some examples? And their impacts. And how close are we to some of these tipping points?
0: Well, there are tipping points in the icy bits of the planet. So that includes in major ice sheets like losing the West Antarctic ice sheet, which would eventually lead to three and a half metres of sea level rise, or losing the Greenland ice sheet, which would eventually add seven metres of sea level rise. We also have tipping points potentially in the biosphere, the living parts of our planet. You mentioned a key example, the Amazon rainforest could be tipped to die back on a large scale, which would be a catastrophe for biodiversity. It would add a significant amount of carbon from the forest to the atmosphere, but it would also seriously disrupt both the regional climate and have knock-on effects to the global climate. And there are other tipping points like the loss of coral reefs that 500 million people depend on for their livelihoods in the tropics. And finally, there are tipping points in circulation of the ocean or the atmosphere or the two of them coupled together. That includes the biggest risk possibly of all, which is a tipping point in the great overturning circulation of the Atlantic Ocean. But there's a sort of slightly more geographically contained, if you like, tipping point in part of the North Atlantic circulation in a process of forming deep waters from, uh, in the seas around Greenland, particularly the Labrador Sea to the southwest of Greenland. And yet if, if that process tips off, it can trigger something like the transition to the Little Ice Age in Europe where I live, so there are major ramifications there and knock, other knock-on consequences that can happen. Fast
1: within like a decade so you're in europe and i'm sitting in asia and i'm wondering what the major tipping points the real threats for this part of the world where you know a large portion of humanity lives obviously melting ice sheets mm. would be a bit of a disaster because that could lead to many meters of sea level rise in the coming centuries which could flood many many cities and melting glaciers in the himalayas and so mm. forth but what could be some of the other big uh, tipping point threats to uh, to asia
0: you highlighted some of the obvious big ones but i'd also stress that the uh, different monsoon systems or parts of the asian monsoon could be at risk we we know from earth's history and from remarkable records that are kept sort of recorded for example in stalactites and caves that monsoons are not a given they can switch on or off quite abruptly and that would be a profound uh, risk if if well, well, climatologists separate kind of the South Asian and East Asian monsoons, but if either of those monsoon systems were severely disrupted or in the worst case tipped off, that would have huge, huge regional ramifications for obviously for agriculture, for water supplies, for everything else. And we already see some evidence that... um air pollution, for example, has been disrupting the Indian monsoon and also shifting the intensity and the position of the rainfall in more in East Asia in the monsoon there. So I would highlight that as something that could be at risk and it would be a major concern. I'd also remind about the tropical coral reefs, some of which are around Asian shores and certainly are essentially... These incredibly productive ecosystems in what's otherwise like a nutrient desert in the, in the ocean. And th- by productive, I'm meaning they support fish and, and productive fisheries from many. And that's why so many hundreds of millions of people depend on them for their livelihoods. They also provide pretty good coastal protection, those reefs, from storm surges, from the kind of storm surges that are only going to get worse with the rising sea level. So I'd highlight that your coastal coral reefs are a crucial tipping point risk. Losing those,
1: great. Thanks for that. Now, climate change, of course, as, and you've already mentioned this, is a is a major threat that is pushing parts of the natural world to you know to the edge, to the brink. Uh, and the warmer the planet gets, you know, the greater the risk. So humanity is also making things worse by pollution, which again you just mentioned, particularly air pollution, deforestation, overexploitation. Of resources and other pressures. So tell us more about these and, and how they interact with climate impacts.
0: Yeah, so air pollution is often caused by the burning of fossil fuels in some form or another. I mean, coal traditionally was a major source of air pollution, burning coal, sulfurous coal, and that's still the case uh, in, uh, for example, India and large parts of China, although what tends to happen is as economies develop, people get less tolerant of air pollution and more efforts are made to clean the air. Nevertheless, uh, air pollution worldwide from fossil fuel burning is still killing 5 million people per year. That's a big number. Or let's say shortening their lives significantly for 5 million people. And so tackling air pollution and tackling climate change tend to be kind of intertwined because because coal burning, for example, is the dirtiest form of of fossil fuel burning in terms of its impact on the climate as well as on the air it has the greatest carbon dioxide emissions for the amount of energy you actually generate if that makes sense then you mentioned rightly deforestation that is clearly bad for nature and the ecosystem that was present but it's also a significant source of greenhouse gas emissions it's about one, a tenth of greenhouse gas emissions globally. But that's a little bit subtle because what's actually happening is there's a lot of destruction of forests and then there's some regrowth of forests going on where land has being abandoned. So when we say like a tenth of emissions are linked to deforestation, there's actually a bigger chunk of emissions than that they are being counterbalanced by some regrowth of forests. The long and the short of that is if we could halt deforestation that would not only remove a significant chunk of emissions but actually you then open up the opportunity to regrow or let the forests regrow and there that will mean creating the opposite a net withdrawal of carbon dioxide especially from the atmosphere which could be crucial in by like, getting on top of the climate crisis in simple terms and achieving what is referred to as net zero greenhouse gas emissions where whatever emissions remain are their counterbalanced by some removal, in that case by the forests.
1: Now, one of the other really quite concerning aspects of tipping points is that there's a real risk of a cascade. So one tipping point crashing into another, if you like. So damage or destruction of natural systems sort of getting gradually or quite rapidly sort of getting worse, right? So, this kind of like is like causing like a domino effect of accelerating disasters for the planet and humanity. So, what's the risk of this happening? Could you give us a very sort of specific example of what this might look like? Yes, in the climate itself,
0: a specific example of a nasty cascade, it would be that, for example, the Arctic is warming about three times, if not four times as fast as the rest of the planet, because a very reflective sea ice surface that's being replaced by a, a very dark ocean sort of surface that absorbs a lot more sunlight but as the arctic warms that's accelerating the melt of the Greenland ice sheet it's also accelerating the thawing of the permafrost which is the frozen soils of the high north which is adding carbon to the atmosphere adding to the warming it's also causing it to snow and rain more in the arctic and um, melting of the green and ice sheet and snow and rain they're all sources of fresh water pouring into the north atlantic where they're disrupting something called the great overturning circulation of the atlantic as well as that other thing i mentioned the sinking that which is to do with the sinking of deep water now basically Earth history teaches us that weakening and then possibly breaking this great Atlantic overturning circulation has major ramifications. It'll disrupt the monsoons all the way around the tropics. It basically drags the band of rainfall that rings the planet around the tropics southwards. And that can mean sort of shutting off the Indian monsoon, and possibly an East Asian monsoon as well. It can certainly disrupt the monsoon in West Africa and over the Amazon in South America. So, those are cascading major consequences. And um, when you collapse this overturning circulation of the Antarctic, what what you're doing is shutting off a process that takes heat from the southern hemisphere and to the northern hemisphere. So, as well as that having all sorts of climate impacts, it leaves heat behind in the southern ocean around Antarctica, where it can contribute to melting the ice sheets there. So, that's the sort of possibly the clearest and possibly, well, one of the worst possible cascades through the climate as a system. I'd also stress that um, cascades could go from the climate into our social systems if if climate tipping or, say, the disruption of a monsoon starts to seriously impact water supplies and food production, people are not going to be happy about that. And there, we know from recent history that that will cause social and political unrest potentially, and it can sometimes tragically trigger violent revolutions, et cetera, et cetera. One can imagine all sorts of negative cascading
1: social consequences. Right. Yes, that is indeed very scary. Now, of course, you looked at a lot of this um, when you led the largest ever study into Tipping Points, which was released in late 2023, just around about the time of COP28 in Dubai. Tell us a little bit more about the report and what it revealed in terms of a few key findings and things that we still didn't know.
0: Yeah, at the top level, I think the message of our report is there's not there's no business as usual to be had now. Because if we carried on the way we we're going, we would be heading into triggering multiple climate tipping points. And as I've just explained, I think the consequences of those will be so striking and shocking that there'll be a major risk, and we could see profound damages. So we can't want to go there. But we're acting too slowly in terms of what we call decarbonizing the economy. So we can't just incrementally think we're going to tackle climate change now. The situation is at an emergency level. We have to profoundly accelerate uh, action to switch to renewable energy and all the rest of it. And for that, we need to find and trigger what I call positive tipping points, which we show in the report. There's evidence that that's already happening. There is a positive tipping point accelerating the change to renewable energy and battery storage unfolding worldwide. And there's also a positive tipping point to electrifying mobility starting in the car sector that's also busy spreading worldwide. So, yeah, the discoveries, if you like, were, oh, my word, there are more bad system tipping points than we thought last time we drew up the map and some of them are closer than we than we thought they were on the bad side. But on the good side, ah, there's more potential positive tipping points than we thought they were and there's more evidence that they're starting to spread quickly. So I think of it as like some perverse tug of war between the bad tipping points one way and the good ones the other way. The good news is we... Have got what researchers call some agency in this. We can be part of triggering the positive tipping points sooner and faster to avoid the bad climate tipping points.
1: Yeah, so I, I want to spend a little more, a little bit more time discussing the positive tipping points because I think that's, you know, that's. I think that's something that people would really want to know. That okay, there's the future if we don't do anything is pretty gloomy, <clears throat> but given you know we have the capacity to deal with this give us some more examples of what these positive tipping points are and to to what extent they can really make a difference.
0: Well, at the crux of all tipping points, whether good or bad, is is something that we talk about as scientists as amplifying feedback or, you know, a little change in a system triggers a response within the system that amplifies the initial change. And then that goes around the loop again and amplifies it more. And if that amplification is strong enough, you get runaway feedback, like when you put a microphone too close to the speaker, and what we're talking about in the social realm are well-known amplifying feedbacks. So in the economy, these are things like economies of scale. The more solar panels I make, the cheaper the next one gets to make, and spectacularly so. The price of solar panels has come down a factor of 10 in a decade, and they're the cheapest form of electricity generation in most of the world already today. There's also something called learning by doing. Like when we make something like a solar panel, we make more of them, we get better at making them, but also better at installing them. And then we have something we might call social contagion as scientists, but it's the fact that we tend to follow what each other do, and that can include the uptake of uh, the new clean technology. So there's evidence that solar panels on our neighbours. Houses might trigger us to adopt solar panels. The same is happening with electric vehicle uptake. In the process of social contagion, its ideas and behaviours can spread in a self-propelling way through society. Um, And that includes shifting social norms, like what's uh, acceptable to do and what's punished. And in the biggest scheme of things, there's the possibility that social norms shift away from fossil fuel burning, that that no longer becomes the norm or widely accepted and supported in society. And instead, like smoking in public places, it actually becomes something that norms change against. And there's a little bit of evidence of that starting to happen. There's some shaming of excessive flying that's going on by some people. So there's all kinds of possibilities in the space of shifting society and technology coupled together and at some basic level i think we all know that political change doesn't always happen smoothly that uh, social movements can be that they can escalate very rapidly and we see plenty of examples of that in asia and they can force um, significant policy change and in this case it would be about forcing much more decisive political action to uh, tackle climate change and to incentivize the behaviours and the technologies that do
1: so. I mean that uh, all sounds extremely positive, and you know, you're right. Humanity can, when it really wants to, make quite rapid changes. And and in fact, you know, the report does talk about better governance systems and you know emergency global action. But even with these steps, the report also says that uh, there are some tipping points, some of which we've mentioned. Um, could still be triggered. You know, we're kind of on a bit of a knife edge with some of these. So just as a final point, do you think then because there is that risk that we could even with accelerated action on climate change, protecting biodiversity, cutting back pollution, you know, we still need to start preparing and adapting to a changed world regardless. You know, that, that we just we, we can't just get ourselves completely out of this mess.
0: That's right. Change is already happening in some tipping points might turn out to be ones we didn't avoid or can not avoid but the trick is to avoid the unmanageable so avoid the worst tipping points and manage the unavoidable and in terms of preparing for or dealing with things that might evolve abruptly yeah there's a huge amount more we could do no regrets options if you like to be uh, more resilient shall we say to the to the impacts of hard to avoid tipping points and those could include sea level rise of of being irreversible and significant. We can still slow it down by the way by limiting greenhouse gas emissions even if we can't stop it but for sure there's plenty we can do to a series of adaptations if you like to rising seas. And the same will be true for other more rapidly unfolding tipping point risks. We already, have unfortunately, have some experience, in, including in Asia, of the monsoons starting to get disrupted. Of course, part of the way globally we might try to cope with that is to have a healthy trade system for major staple crops and things like that. But there's also... With the ecosystem tipping points and loss, there's a huge amount that we can do to try to mitigate the risks. So in the case of coral reefs, there's amazing innovation going on to try to evolve corals that are more heat tolerant and things like that. So there might be the possibility to recolonize or regenerate the reefs. With tropical forests, yes, we're seeing them being wantonly destroyed and some of them could be tipped by climate change. But equally, there's a possibility to tip them back within reason um, through concerted efforts, uh, and f- protecting the forest, letting it regrow, some deliberate tree planting. So yeah, there's a huge, there's always, there's always some options, even when facing sometimes unstoppable changes to to mitigate the damages. And we do well to switch on to the size of the risks here, and and work out what all the options are that are available. <laughs> Particularly concerned about that uh, also in my part of the world where we could see a major disruption to the climate suddenly becoming a lot more seasonal where I live. Uh, we are totally unequipped for that in the UK. Uh, and our infrastructure is totally unequipped for it, but it could be equipped for it. Yeah, so that's costly. That's the, the rub. Usually people think, well, oh, it's going to cost to um, try to get prepared and adapt. But the beauty is to look for the the win, the sort of no regret solutions, the things that are going to give us resilience if the tipping points come, but we're not going to regret um, doing them anyway. And I think of things like people who are dying from hot heat and humidity extremes in the in the expanding urban slums of mega cities in in all parts of the world, but including in, in Asia. And there, simple things like more green space, more more urban green space is crucial for mitigating that kind of localized tipping point risk of the really nasty one of fatal humidity. So yeah, always something we can do if we think the right way about the problem and we get proactive.
1: Yes, and I think that's the key point, right? This is Really meant to be the decade for enhanced action because if we don't do that, then things get much harder after that. After that point, look, thank you so much for joining us today, Tim. It was a really, really good rundown on tipping points and um, a really great example of what we can do. You know, when we really put our minds to it. Thanks, David. Well, that wraps up Green Pulse today. And once again, I'm David Fogarty, and thanks for listening.
0: Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or within our Straits Times app. Thanks for listening.